It's Wednesday, January the 22nd, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. We are right into the general election campaign now with party manifestos coming out this week and the first head-to-head debate between Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin happening this evening on Virgin Media Television. Last night, the Irish Times published the last parts of its Ipsos MRBI poll, which showed a strong appetite for a change of government among voters. But we also wanted to hear directly from voters as well. And that's what Jennifer O'Connell's been doing over the last while. She joins me from Waterford. Morning, Jennifer. Hi, Hugh. How are you? I'm very good. Where have you been and what have you been doing? I kind of feel like one of those um, American tourists who lands in Europe and goes, if it's Wednesday, I must be in Amsterdam because uh, I've been on the road since the election was announced. Uh, so I started in Waterford, which is which is where I'm based. So that was kind of handy. I swung out to West Waterford, uh, went into Waterford City, um, and then I drove on out to Cork, uh, took part in, um, or well, sat in on a book group there just to find out what voters in Simon Coveney and, and Micheál Martin's constituency were thinking about the issues that mattered to them. Um, and then I was in Adamstown in Dublin for a piece that'll be published, I think, next week. Um, I went into Black Rock in, in South County Dublin, spoke to some women in a house share there. And yesterday I spent the day at the Mart in Ennis. So um, I've literally been going nonstop since the election was announced. It's, it's great fun. Before we get into the nitty gritty of what people have been have been telling you, um, do you have any sense of a kind of an, an overall mood out there? We're hearing stuff back from people out on the doorsteps who are doing campaigning and obviously they've all got vested interests and they all say they get a good response on that. But generally the overall impression that, that seems to be coming back is that people are not angry. Um, but they do perhaps think it's time for a change. Yeah, it's a really interesting phenomenon and I'm kind of hearing the same things um, over and over again. So I do think there's a desire for change out there and for a change of government. But weirdly, I'm not seeing it translate into an overwhelming intention to actually vote for that change of government, if you know what I mean. So, like, I'll approach somebody and I'll ask them, you know, what are the issues that will get them out to vote in in the election? And they will usually have quite a long list of things that they're not happy about, Uh, typically kind of starting with health. And this was huge across the South um, in Waterford, I suppose. Perhaps not that surprisingly, people feel really strongly about um, about the health issue because there are well documented issues in the hospital um, in Waterford in, in UHW, but also um, in Cork. Uh, there, you know, there was there was quite a lot of concern about about the health, about the trolley crisis um, and health. Uh, the neglect of rural Ireland comes up. Usually that segues into a bit of criticism of Shane Ross. I, I feel like um, Shane Ross is in rural Ireland what the Healy Rays are in Dublin. You know, he's kind of, um, I suppose, a lightning rod for all the issues that, that they have about how Dublin regards the rest of Ireland. Um, housing's not a massive issue outside of Dublin so far that I've seen. Um, and then there'll be, you know, they'll often sort of talk a little bit of a concern about the growing divide between rural and urban or between the haves and, and the have-nots. So then I'll sort of take all that on board and I'll say, well, will you be voting for a change of government? And then they they kind of quite often will say, well, no, because uh, who else do you vote for? Right. So you're not really getting a sense of a kind of a big fluidity in terms of people saying I voted for, for example, Fine Gael in the last two elections, but that's it. I'm I'm moving now. No, I'm not. Um, And I think in a way that perhaps some damage has been done to to Fianna Fáil because of the confidence and supply agreement because I think that you know for all that historically a lot of people would have said well there's not very much difference between uh, between their policies I think that's really been reinforced over the past couple of years um, and people feel that you know there isn't really a, a strong alternative to, to Fianna Gael that they can see 
um, you know, and they'll talk about, particularly if you talk to young people, they'll talk about the climate issue uh, as being very important to them. But then I'll say, well, you know, would, that, would you be likely to vote Green? Well, no, because I don't think really the government can solve that. And I'd rather the government that we have here will work on solving what they can solve, which is potentially um, potentially housing and, and health. Um, and so, you know, it, it's funny, in a way, the government I know went into this election hoping that people would give them credit for their handling of Brexit. Um, and I don't think that that's happening. In fact, people have laughed at me when I've asked them, would you be likely to vote uh, for Fine Gael on the basis of their handling of Brexit? And they've said, absolutely not. Um, so I think that possibly that's a bit like asking people to vote for the ozone layer. You know, they see Brexit as solved in the same way that the ozone layer issue has been solved. So they're not going to vote for something that's not an issue, that's not a threat to their, their lifestyle. Um, so they're not they're not really crediting the government with Brexit, but they're also not really blaming them for the health, health crisis. So, you know, that kind of messaging that Brian Cowan put out years ago um, about the, I think it was Brian Cowan who said that the, the Department of Health was Angola. That was a really actually powerful piece of communications because in a way it sort of absolved the government of any direct responsibility for anything that might go wrong in, in, the, in health, in the Department of Health. So while people are very unhappy about waiting lists, trolley waiting lists in the southeast, they're very unhappy about um, the problems, you know, the, the access to cardiac care and things like that. They, they see it as an institutional failure and a systems failure and maybe even a societal failure rather than a failure of government, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. So people have, you know, issues like really issues that they feel really, really strongly about, but it's not translating into a desire for to vote for change. And, you know, I wonder if when it comes down to it, if ultimately people will make the decision based on you know, jobs and a sense of economic security. And I think most people are feeling that the country is in a good place economically. And in a way, that's what, you know, that's what our own polling showed this week as well. Although it did show that housing and health were by far the most important issues for people. Brexit, as you say, exactly didn't track at all with people. The environment was perhaps a little bit lower as an issue, or climate crisis a little bit lower than than people people might have expected. But I, I was taken by your your piece in um, in Rochester and Cork, um, talking to some of the people in the in the book club there. A, a sense that, as you say, that the economy's motoring on okay, but that maybe there's just something that's not quite working. Yeah, that's right. And one of the women now, a woman called Mary, um, made a you know really good analogy about how, in some ways, you know, people looking at Ireland from the outside in might regard it as a very progressive country where people, you know, have have shown some signs of, of compassion, where we've been economically successful and that kind of thing. But actually, you know, when you're in, on the inside uh, looking at, at Ireland, it, it might not feel like that. Like I think I, I think Ireland is a fabulous country with loads of potential. But I think it's, at the moment I feel like we're, um, you know, we have, we're like a beautiful modern building where, you know, over foundations, everything is shiny and beautiful, you know, floor to ceiling, glass and modern. We've done, you know, some great modern things in society like the marriage referendum, like abortion. But I kind of feel underneath have we like the Victorian age foundations that are crumbling because we're not, despite how well the economy is going, we don't seem to be investing or getting any value for money in, in where we're putting our public funds. You know, when you look at health, when you look at education, particularly for minority groups within that. <laughs> um, very good. Look at housing, look at infrastructure, all those kind of things. You kind of think, God, is that all just going to cave away someday? And the beautiful modern piece of chat is just going to crumble. 
So that's a, a very jolly sounding book club there in, in Cork, Jennifer. It was incredibly jolly. Yeah, they're a great uh, bunch of women and they, they provide a full dinner at their book club, which I benefited from, Hugh. Yeah, I, unheard of in, in my experience, which admittedly is limited of book clubs. Yeah, no, I'm in a book club myself now and I'll be going back with some suggestions for how we might shake things up. Um, but yeah, they were a very interesting group because they're in, as I said at the start, they're in Simon Coveney and, and Micheál Martin's constituency. They've got some very um, high profile candidates. Interestingly, um, among uh, of the table, I think there was nine women there that night. Three do plan to vote uh, Green, to give their first preference to, to Green. Um, to green candidates and, and none of them would have voted green in the past um, because they want to get the climate issue on the table. So, you know, I think that that's interesting and, and perhaps indicative of, of a way, you know, voters are thinking across the country. Um, I'm not seeing it as much amongst younger people that I've spoken to, which um, surprised me. I, I expect them all to say that they're going to vote uh, green number one. Um, and, you know, they are concerned about, about the environment and, and climate. But I think that they... Um, for them, perhaps for young people, housing is a bigger issue. Um, you, you know, and I think that they, they're possibly um, going to stick with the status quo because they feel that uh, at some point something will turn up that'll solve the housing issue for them and that maybe that'll come from, from Fine Gael. So it, it's, it's really interesting. And the contrast um, to the UK, you know, where I was reporting and I, I've been on this podcast talking about it, um, when I was talking to people there about how they were planning to vote in, in the general election, the conversation always went immediately to personality. Um, here it doesn't tend to. It tends to be about policies. It tends to be about party ideology. Um, if I ask them what they think of, of Leo Varadkar or, or Micheál Martin or even Mary Lou MacDonald, um, they kind of go, yeah, they don't seem to evoke very, very strong feelings. So it's, it's really interesting um, that, you know, our, the path that Irish politics has, has gone is, is so different from the way it is in, in the United Kingdom now, where it's all about personality. That is so fascinating because the kind of received wisdom about Irish politics is that because it's so localised and because we're so close to our politicians, that the individual is far Trump's ideology all the time, you know, and that unlike the way it works in, in other countries. But maybe what it is, is maybe that kind of slightly diffuse kind of way that party politics works here. We've got a number of different parties. We know that he's going to get an overall majority. So the whole, you know, Boris versus Jeremy thing doesn't work the same way with Leo versus Michal or whatever it might be. No, and I was kind of surprised by that because I do think uh, Leo Varadkar can be kind of a, a divisive personality. Um, but I'm not seeing that. People sort of say, you know, he represents us well, like he's grand, uh, no major issue with him. He can be a bit clunky, he can be a bit insensitive. Michal is probably seen as more, Michal Martin is probably seen as more of a people's person. Um, but, you know, I, I, there's there's not really, they, neither of them evokes really strong feeling. And interestingly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm loath to make any predictions at this point. Uh, I did make a prediction about the British election uh, with you as you remember. I do. Um, and I was right. You were indeed. Uh, um, but I'm very loath to make any predictions. But one thing I have seen is a move away from independent candidates. Very few people are talking about voting independent. And when I ask them about that, it tends to be that, well, we don't really trust them to, to be able to deliver. Like they're strong on promise. But, um, you know, and there's definitely a desire out there for a majority government, whether it's Fine Gael or whether it's, it's Fianna Fáil, um, or potentially down the road, it might be a Sinn Féin majority government. I think people would quite like to see a majority government because I think that that they feel that the sort of the series of coalitions and um, 
the confidence and supply agreement, it has probably hindered progress a little bit. But funny whatever enough, that's the least likely thing they're going to get. Whatever, you know, they're definitely not going to get a single party majority government, whatever, whatever else I think we can safely predict that's going to happen. But perhaps there is a desire, as you say, after four years of confidence and supply to see a government, a coalition government of some some sort with a majority. And it remains to be seen if that's if that's going to be possible at all. But you did meet a, uh, a couple of Fianna Fáil supporters at, uh, at the Martin Ennis. I did. Um, yeah, the, I, I had a great day yesterday at the, at the Martin Ennis. Um, not as many Fianna Fáil supporters there as I might have expected to meet, but the, the first two that I spoke to, men called Joe and John, um, were strong Fianna Fáil men. I've been hoping Fianna Fáil gets in. And Fianna Fáil, Mr. Fáil, Oh, you're Fianna Fáil all your life, so no, no change there for you? No. No, no good news up. in the polls for stay you up, today. Yeah, and you I like me, Hall, do you? Yeah, I think you I would never be green. No, no, no. no. I suppose not many people in, in the farming yeah, community would be green, would they? Actually, I was so know he's very environment. Right. And I say that Greta drives me mad. Do you know that? Yeah. Well, she's with an awful lot of Why? Why does she drive you mad? Well, uh, I don't know really. I suppose she's she's doing. Uh, well, she's she's she would vote for her, no. No, no, but yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I belong to a Cinefall, but I wouldn't vote for her. Yeah. But Grace drives, Grace drives, Grace drives. She does, she does, she does. She's, she's young and idealistic. She, she is, yeah, but like, uh, she's not going to change it. Yeah, do you know? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, how are you going to do with that now? Are you going to put that in the paper? Is it? Yeah, just a, I'll just no take a line or two of it from yeah. the paper. Yeah, no the opinion paper. poll. Exactly. Don't put, up, don't put up for him, Jim. No photos of you, I'll tell him. Clooney. He's up there now. Clooney Quinn, yeah. No, no photos. No, no photos ever. Um, Greta Thunberg might want to think twice if she was thinking of running in Clare at the next election. Right? Yeah, no first preferences for Greta in Clare there. Um, so, you know, and I met I met some very interesting um Members of the farming community there yesterday, actually predominantly, uh, predominantly men. Obviously, there were, there were one or two women there um, that I saw, but I mainly spoke to, to men. And you know, the picture that they painted was quite a bleak one. And I think you know we'd be aware of that. I think in the country, you'd you'd have to be under a rock not to be aware of um, farmers being unhappy. But um, it was broken down for me by a man called Patrick Crow yesterday in a way that I kind of hadn't realised probably the extent to which the farming community is really struggling and, and beef farmers in particular and are actually it's costing them money to stay in beef farming now and I think we have some audio of him um, breaking down the figures. I have 54 suckling cows and I finish them to, to beef and every day that I am at home farm and I lose money. How is that? Can you describe that, how that happens? Oh yeah, so the, the prices I'm getting for cattle at this present, so I sold 12 heifers uh, on Tuesday and for 12 heifers I got 1,300 euros each, Okay. So I had to keep them 12 heifers for 30 months to get that much money. In a good year, I would get 40 cents a day for minding those cattle and feeding those cattle. This time around, because the prices are backed by about 400 euros for finished cattle, I'm losing 20 cents a day on every animal. And them are the, them are the figures, like, them are the, the crazy figures. Every day I'm losing a bit of money. So are you having to look for other sources of income? So right now, I'm in the lucky position that I have no debt. And over the next nine months, instead of finishing cattle, I will sell cattle that aren't finished and not pay money to finish them. I will reduce my stock month on month, and by in nine months' time, I'll have maybe half the stock I have, and after that, then, I won't be a farmer anymore. I will be a hobby farmer, and I'll have to go and get a job. That's really interesting, isn't it? Of course, it echoes a lot of the things we've been hearing of the farmers' protests over the over the last few months, Jennifer. But there's two things that you know that strike me about it. One is 
you know, the harsh reality is that that is not a that is not an industry or that is not a business which is such a sustainable into the future. Because I don't think there is an easy answer to that economic uh, problem which he laid out uh, very starkly there. The other one is that there is a divide. There is a real divide, isn't there, between urban Ireland and Dublin and the East Coast in particular, and the experience of people in other parts of the country. There absolutely is, and um, and I think you know a lot of people that I've spoken to have mentioned that and are worried that 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 divide is growing. Um, Patrick was interesting in that you know he was kind of unique actually amongst people that I spoke to yesterday I think in that when I asked him how he was going to vote he said he hopes for a complete change of government he's going to vote uh, for an independent in fact he's been he's been canvassing for an independent in the area um, but he's, he, he wants to, a completely clean slate and he just doesn't think uh, that the government has met the needs of the farming community um, and in fact he hates the expression farming community and agricultural sector because he says to me I'm not a sector I'm an individual I'm a human being and I'm just trying to make a living um, which which was powerful. Other farmers that I met, though, equally, you know, suffering and a lot of them are looking at maybe a lot of them are working two jobs um, potentially looking at going into pharmacy, diversifying and that kind of thing. But there wasn't an overwhelming anti-Fine Gael sentiment at all. In fact, I would say probably two thirds of the farmers that I spoke to yesterday are still going to vote Fine Gael, even though um, they do feel a bit left behind. Another man that I spoke to, a farmer called um, Noel Kenny, was describing to me how he's, he's, you know, he's a youngish man in his 40s, um, four small children. He's running a farm that he inherited from his father. Um, it's, he's a beef farmer. He's not he's not making money at the mart. Um, himself and his wife have taken on a lease on a pub. She works full time, so he's working as a farmer. They're running a pub together. Uh, he's probably he he told me that the day before he'd been up at six o'clock in the morning and didn't get to bed till two a.m. So he's working himself to the bone. And what are you doing here today? Are you hoping to do a bit of business? Well, I'm hoping to do a bit of business, but it's very hard doing my business when when, I, when I've just been to the factory yesterday and received a very poor price for good quality cattle. Where is it going? It's hard to know. I four small kids. Uh, you couldn't really call yourself a farmer in this day and age when you're all working. Two of us are all working and trying to run a farm at the same time. Total disaster. Not very encouraging for people of my age. And what do you think the government's attitude has been to the needs of rural Ireland and the farming community in particular? Well, I think they've lined their pockets so well and they're not really too worried about down, down in the west of all or anywhere, down in Clare. I don't think they're too bothered about it as long as everything is working above in Dublin. I, I think they're limited in their opinions. Like. Will you be voting for a change of government then? But you know who's any better than what's in it? No. <laughs> sure. Sure. Is any of them any better? You tell me, what do you think? I don't think they're. She think they're, but you want to get in into the, the rest and the lords and don't. Sure. Have they ever carried out anything they said they carry out? I don't, I don't know. She's, what change will come? Sure. She's if the Greens get in, like, sure, isn't the farmer going to get robbed? And the carbon tax. Yeah, that fatalism, Jennifer, isn't it? It's kind of quite widespread. Yeah, um, it, it, real fatalism. Um, and I think, you know, it's it, it's a, a week into the campaign, if it feels longer. Um, but a week into the campaign, I think you'd have to say that both the two main parties um, have, have failed to drive home any kind of coherent messaging to people around the country. People are really looking at the issues. They're not voting, like I said, based on personality. They want to vote based on policy. Um, but they haven't been given anything that they can really grasp onto. So while I'd say, um, you know, I'm seeing it, definitely seeing a desire for change. I'm not seeing it translate, like I said, into an intention to kind of vote for change because they just, they don't know yet uh, what, what, what way. They, d- they don't really see any viable alternatives out there. 
Um, so I think that probably the good news for Fine Gael is that I think from what I'm seeing and, and the people that I've spoken to around the country and, and health warning, it's obviously purely anecdotal and it's based on who, who I happen to meet and who's willing to talk to me. But I would say that the good news is that it's not as bleak at this stage um, you know, as, as the polls would suggest for, for Fianna Gael. I would say it's not as positive for Fianna Fáil as, as the votes would suggest. Um, but I think that, you know, the government has taken or, or Fianna Gael have taken a gamble that people will vote based on um, based on Brexit, which I think is a, a lost cause, um, and also based on their sense of economic security. I think they've probably got uh, more hope there. But they need to drive home that messaging a lot more forcefully over the next uh, the next couple of weeks of the campaign um, if they want it to, tr- to translate. And then I think Fianna Fáil need to get much better at driving home their message about how they're going to be an alternative. If they're offering an alternative, what is it? What will that alternative look like? Because people out there, you know, they, they're, they're, they're in t- all intending to vote. I haven't met anybody yet who says, no, I couldn't be bothered. Well, I did meet one man in West Waterford, actually, who said that they were all a shower of effing crooks and he wouldn't be voting for anybody. But generally speaking, um, people are engaged. They're talking about the issues. They're thinking about the issues. They're thinking about policy. They intend to vote. Uh, but I'd say it's wide open at this stage about who they'll actually vote for. And yet I wonder, this final question, uh, Jennifer, we have a little clip from Regina Doherty in our little uh, signature intro that we do on the on the daily podcast where she goes, ah, oh, nobody, nobody reads manifestos. And there is a certain um, deep truth in that, in the, in the way that people come to their decision making in elections, isn't it? That there's a kind of a, there's a gut instinct. I mean, it's very interesting to hear that people are thinking about policies and looking at policies and that. But there's a kind of a gut instinct thing that, you know, we just need a change. Uh, the country's not quite going in the right direction, although it's hard to put my finger on it. You know, less so... It, the, that that can often be more powerful than the exact detail of housing policy or health policy or or anything else. Yeah, I think she's potentially right about that. I mean, I certainly didn't come across anybody who had um, read a manifesto at this stage. Uh, but to be fair, I've been out in the road for for a week, and some of the manifestos weren't even uh, published at that stage. But I I do um, I have I did meet a couple of people who said that they intended to look at the issues and make a decision based on that. But I think a lot of people uh, watch the debates, listen to discussions on radio, um, and they're looking for they're looking for a plan for health. They're probably not seeing it yet. Um, they're looking for a plan for housing. They're not seeing that yet either. So in the absence of being convinced, I think that anybody can solve the health issue, which n- nobody I met is convinced that anybody can solve the health issue, um, or come up with a you know a really viable solution for for the housing issue. Uh, I think that the odds are that they might decide better stick with the devil, you know, or they might decide, well, sure, we'll give the other crowd a chance and see how it goes. But I think, it, at, you know, at this stage, it's really hard to, to call other than I think it'll be it'll be a lot closer than the polls suggest. Very interesting indeed. Jennifer, thanks very much for coming on. And I'm joined now by our political editor, Pat Leahy. Pat, you've been down with Fianna Fáil this morning. We might talk about that in a moment. But first, Jennifer Connell had some interesting messages back from the plain people of Ireland, I think, in uh, in, a, in our conversation there. And some of them, as I said to her, definitely stood up the results of our poll this week, particularly this this desire uh, for change, but quite a sort of gentle desire. And uh, what change actually means is perhaps a little bit inchoate uh, in terms of what it really means. Yeah, I think um, I think that's probably pretty well observed on uh, on Jennifer's part. Certainly, it's reflected in the findings of the poll. And funny, I had a conversation with someone from government just this morning about the the findings of the poll and their view that actually that second half of the poll, which we published last night and in this morning's paper, which deals with that desire for change uh, in the country and the nature of that desire, 
for change in the country was in a way even more important in the election campaign mm. than the simple top line party support numbers that we published the uh, the previous day. And I go along with that analysis to a large degree. And, you know, the, looking at the figures, there's 75% of people in favour of, uh, of change. Though e- equally divided between the people who say we want a radical change of direction and the people who say kind of we want a bit of a change you know uh, you know we say the government has not made enough progress on important issues and now it's time for a change and I think that largely correlates to the sort of Fianna Fáil option mm. really and whereas the other part of the the other part of the change vote is uh, is probably a more radical change so you're looking at Sinn Féin some of the independents smaller parties of the left even the Greens too to a certain extent. And I think a couple of things can be said, you know, in qualification of that. And one of them is that people are always up for a change, really. And... It's as good as a rest, apparently. <laughs> and uh, and in political campaigning, change is one of the great tropes that you always hear from sure. politicians. But as the campaign develops, and in a way it's not surprising that there should be this demand for change at the start of the campaign. But as the campaign develops, what a certain and possibly decisive cohort of voters will be, I think, looking at is change to what? And I think that there will be, perhaps in the next phase of the campaign, a more rigorous examination of the alternative presented front and centre by Sinn Féin and by Fianna Fáil, but also by, you know, the other smaller parties who, have we, as we've discussed here before, may have as decisive an, uh, a, a bearing or their performance will have as decisive a bearing on the formation and direction of the next government uh, as the big parties in, uh, in many respects. So I think, you know, now that we have established that there is this demand for change there, I think uh, the interrogation of what that would mean in its details will get underway. So does that mean that your contacts in government are not as uh, depressed by that change number as you would have thought they might be? Do they think there's still a game to be played here? Oh, I think they, they certainly believe that there is uh, a game to be played. And I think I think that they're right in that. No Irish election is over, you know, before it begins, you know, we've had a week of campaigning, we've two and a half weeks to go. If you look at the history of Irish elections, there is often a late swing and often a decisive late swing. The election, I mentioned this in one of the pieces I did this morning, but the uh, the the election that is most often cited as a parallel for this election by people in government is the 2007 election, which was the third election won by Bertie Ahern and if people can cast their minds back to that pre-lapsarian idol uh, th- there was you know Fianna Fáil were running for a third term Bertie Ahern was under uh, huge pressure on questions about his personal finances that were in the Mahan Tribunal at the time uh, Fine Gael's Enda Kenny was fighting his first election and there was that same it was after a long period of prosperity just as we are now there was 
that same mood for a change, that same, in Kuwait you described it as mood for change. But after a lengthy campaign in which Fianna Fáil and their leader were kicked around the place by their opponents and by the media, there was a late swing back towards Fianna Fáil because voters were just unconvinced at the final look at the alternative. Mm. They were a bit unconvinced. The debates, the first of which we'd see this evening, were, were very important in that uh, in that campaign. And as we, as history shows us, uh, the, uh, the, the, the election swung back and Bertie Hearn won his third election. So that is cited by a lot of people in government uh, as, as a sort of model for what they think may happen in this election. I think to a certain extent that may be wishful thinking mm-hmm. masquerading as analysis, but there are certain parallels, there's no doubt about that. You mentioned the debates, you mentioned the 2007 debate, we have the first debate tonight. Another thing Jennifer said, which I found really interesting was, as you know, she's been over in the UK talking to voters in the run-up to their general election. And the big difference she said she saw, and this came as a surprise to me, was that in the UK it was all about people people who you like the look of or people who you really dislike the look of, people who dislike Jeremy Corbyn, as we know, he lost the election. Uh, she said, it's totally different here. The people don't really talk about the personalities, the party leaders as being a decisive factor. They're actually talking about policies or some, as we say, slightly vague notion of change, which I was surprised by because I always thought personality was really huge in Irish elections. It is on a local basis, but tends not to be election studies show on a national basis in terms of the choice for Taoiseach. It tends not to be a huge influencer on people's uh, on people's votes. And if you look at our numbers on the choice of Taoiseach this morning, there's very little to choose between Micheál Martin, uh, Leo Varadkar and indeed Mary Lou uh, MacDonald, who was up within a couple of points of the two real contenders for Taoiseach. On, on a local basis, personality is uh, does tend to uh, influence votes because one of the main things that people always say they vote on the basis of is someone to represent the uh, the, the the local area. Um, it's also possibly per- because Irish people have a sort of a closer uh, and certainly it's a less distant relationship with their politicians than. Uh, than British politicians. So it's not entirely have. mediated through national television, exactly, for yeah, example. Yeah, uh, and, and I, mean, I was reflecting on this last night, just trying to survey, take a step back and survey the, the election debate after, as it has been in all its forms, after the first week. And actually, it is incredibly policy heavy. The vast majority of media interrogations are based around policy. And that's quite tricky when the big two parties haven't laid out their manifestos Yet, we're getting bits and pieces. You mentioned I've just come from the Fianna Fáil briefing on personal taxation at which the material supplied to us was barely three pages of, uh, of a briefing on it. But it has been, I think, the, um, I think that the debate has been very policy-heavy uh, thus far. I think the personalities of the two leaders will become more important as we go towards, uh, as we go towards polling day. I think the debates will play a role in that. But uh, but I don't think personalities and the choice of Taoiseach uh, as between the two real contenders for it will be decisive. It tends not to be in Irish elections. A last thought in terms of what you just said there. Um, I, I, we've said that because Fianna Fáil appear to be 
clearly in the lead, albeit in our poll by a, by a small margin at the moment. The focus will turn more to them. They are the leaders and that often happens in politics and that often reveals things that mightn't have been revealed previously. That's two days in a row they've had policy launches where they didn't have full documentation for them. Does that say anything about the standard well, of no, their I mean, organisation? I think they had, you know, they supplied a document. Uh, all they, right. I think they, they were, a bit, they were yeah. a bit late supplying it yesterday. It didn't arrive today until halfway through the press conference. That may be a matter of simple logistics. I find that difficult to believe. I think it's probably more deliberate. And actually, the British parties did this as well. Boris Johnson's manifesto was famously light. I think it was the imprimatur of Dominic Cummings that it should say nothing. Uh, it should say nothing at all. And uh, I think I think the parties would be happier with uh, with that here. But we'll be we'll be doing our best to inconvenience them and squeeze some details out of them on their policy proposals. Pat, thanks for coming in. And that's it for today's show. Thanks to our producer, Suzanne Brennan, and to JJ Vernon on the desk. Remember, you can subscribe to us on all the usual podcast platforms. Also at irishtimes.com slash podcast. You can mail us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com or you can usually find me also on Twitter. And don't forget, we will be posting our election daily podcast every weekday evening, including this evening, probably after the debate. So that will be showing up later in your stream. So keep an eye out for that. Until then, talk to you very soon. 